This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. A little while back, I spoke to Alan Freeman, the founder and director of Freeman House Recovery, a newly established high-end rehabilitation center for men, as well as Nikki Munitz, its clinical director. The two of them are back today to talk about the impact of COVID on stress, anxiety, and substance use. Alan and Nikki, welcome, and thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thanks so much for having us back. Good morning. Thank you so much. Hope you're well. Do you think COVID has increased um, substance abuse? I think two things have happened. I think that uh, on the one hand, we have uh, it's been highlighted, the kind of culture that exists in South Africa that is one of drinking in order to relieve stress. And, of course, when we had the alcohol ban and now the next potential alcohol ban, that um, it really kind of came to the forefront. Even people without, uh, like, diagnosed some substance misuse problems certainly were struggling um, and, you know, were doing things like buying illegal alcohol, um, even though they would not have been considered to have actually had a problem but it's certainly part of our culture and, and something that's utilized quite regularly in order to deal with stress. Of course, now we're in a far higher like stress zone, and so we're going to utilize uh, alcohol more and other substances. And then uh, in terms of people that were already struggling with substance abuse issues, uh, you know, this heightened stress and, and trauma of living through this pandemic and the uncertainty and the financial instability has created more chaos in, in the addict's life so that we're utilizing more substance now in order to cope and function effectively through the stressful time. So um, we've certainly seen far more clients reaching out to us, um, you know, during this period than, than what would have been normal in terms of the time of year because um, it is quite seasonal a lot of the time. Yeah, the stats in Europe definitely say there's been an increase in uh, inquiries into rehabilitation centers. There's been, a, I think Nikki sent me an article that said it's been a 57% increase in inquiries in the European market for people reaching out and seeking help. Um, I also think that people have a lot more time on their hands and they're not going to meetings and they don't have to dress up the whole Zoom culture allows people, and I'm speaking from a first-hand experience, that people now aren't going to have a meeting in the morning, so to have a couple of beers or a few whiskeys doesn't mean necessarily that someone's going to smell it on your breath or you need to look at it a specific way. So guys and girls have a lot more time and a lot more freedom to drink more frequently, and they don't initially see it as a problem, but it creeps up on you pretty quickly. You know, I, I was thinking of a comment my cousin in Israel made when he said they're all back at work and things are normal. And he said we were just getting used to the, the new normal and now we have to get, once again, reacclimatized to the old normal. And I just wonder, I mean, it's been like almost, what, 18 months or so? Have people not settled into our new routines? Is our new normal not already old? And, and what is different? I think that part of the issue is that part of this new normal, which I don't think will ever go away, I think that we are now officially in the digital age, and so we're going to have a hybrid of what was the old normal and the, the new normal as it is now. Um, and and really the, the issue is you never get to leave work. 
um, because you're working from home and people don't know how to set those limits and those boundaries for themselves. And so even though we're used to now working online, um, people don't know and don't have that ability to actually say, right, my work day is over and I'm now going to go and spend time with my family. And of course, employers do the same thing because you're working from home. I'm going to send you a message at all hours of the, of the day and night. And if I don't know how to set those boundaries for myself, then I'm going to just like be feeling like I'm constantly at work. And then the risk of burnout and, um, depression is, is heightened, uh, massively. Yeah, I mean, just going back, I mean, I agree with Nikki 100%. Um, so in saying that, you, your, your employer will phone you at any time of the day or you start work at any time of the day. So people who were previously going to work, finishing work at 5 o'clock, then coming home from work, settling down and pouring themselves one drink at 5 or 6 o'clock in the evening, now feel it's the new norm to do that at 10, 11 in the morning which as we are all quite aware, that is not normal and, and uh, acceptable or healthy. Just before we carry on with your point, because I think it is a valid one, um, the cues that we saw forming before every alcohol ban was quite worrying. And the, the subsequent um, end of um, violence, I mean, the reason alcohol was banned is because it was creating violence and putting a strain on our health system. Um, do you think South Africans as a country have a problem with alcoholism specifically? Massively. Yeah. <laughs> massive, massive problem. I think those cues and the chaos that the ban on alcohol created was just a, a sign and showed, showed everybody what a massive problem there is, how dependent on alcohol we are as a culture and how panic sets in when people are denied that or fear that, the, well, the, you know, the tap will so to speak be switched off. Um, I also think that, uh, you know, people think because it's legal, it's okay. And we needed to only look at, you know, at the Helen Joseph trauma ward on New Year's Day and the emptiness that, that was there to see it's not harmless at all. And even though you can, as long as you're over the age of 18, you can go and purchase it, uh, like any time, anywhere and you know it's considered that it's less harmful and and the reality is that it's far from that and and often people say that if alcohol was discovered today it would be illegal just like other narcotics because it is so destructive and detrimental to one's health and of course the the consequences that happen from excessive alcohol use you know, our, our ability to judge situations effectively, our ability to like tolerate any sort of discomfort and anger. And we also like living in a quite an angry nation. <laughs> the world is, is very angry and alcohol is almost like we're putting fuel to the fire. Um, so all the issues that we're dealing with currently, like uh, gender-based violence, um, racism, all of that is going to be like it's, we, it's magnified through alcohol use and it's, it's terrifying um, from our perspective and the long-term use of alcohol on, on the brain is just like it's terrifying if people really knew the kind of toxicity they were putting into the, their system and the impact it was having um, I would hope that they would think twice in do, on doing that on a regular basis to themselves. Nikki would you I mean it is possible for people to enjoy a drink sometimes mm. and not be violent or destructive or you know overdo it is that okay or would you would you actually call for a ban on alcohol 
So, yes, it's absolutely possible to enjoy a drink. I think the issue sets in when I'm utilizing alcohol as a coping mechanism. Um, so if my thinking is when I come home from work and I just want to enjoy a nice glass of wine, that's totally fine. If I'm in a, you know, destructive relationship and I'm doing it to numb my feelings or because I really can't stand my job and my boss and I'm doing it to avoid having to think about what's really going on in my life, then we start to see a problem. And of course, it doesn't start out with me downing a bottle of whiskey. It starts out with me, you know, I'm having a drink every now and then and then it just progresses, you know, where I'm drinking then every day and then I'm starting earlier on in the day, as Alan was saying. And, and like before, before we know it, it's almost like that situation of boiling the frog, you know, that the frog doesn't know it's being boiled until it's too late. And, and the same kind of thing happens with alcohol abuse. I think the listeners also need to ask themselves a question. How badly did they panic prior to the alcohol ban being kicked in? How did they stress out about not being able to have alcohol for a week or two or three? Did they um, binge buy? Did they go mad on their purchases? Did they stock up? How, yeah, how badly they panicked before they can ascertain whether they have a problem or not? You talk about taking a drink at 11 o'clock. What is a functional alcoholic? And is a functional alcoholic, is it okay to be functional if you're an alcoholic? Yeah, for years I thought I was a functioning alcoholic, uh, you know, but there's, I don't think there's such a thing as a functioning alcoholic. There's cracks and there's problems somewhere. You know, whether, whether you see it or not, but not, a lot of the time the family members and the, the brothers and sisters and children, they don't see you as a functioning alcoholic. Making a living is not just functioning. You know, you can be making a living and providing food, putting food on the table and a roof over their heads, but if you're in a dysfunctional relationship with your kids or your spouse or your parents or whoever, it's, you're not a functioning alcoholic. Go back to that clarification of what addiction actually is. What is an alcoholic? It's, it's someone that's experiencing negative consequences from their alcohol usage. And in spite of those negative consequences, they are Continue. continuing with the behavior. So if I'm coming home and I'm fighting with my wife because I'm drinking, um, and yet I keep coming home and drinking and fighting with my wife, um, you know, in my head, I might be justifying and saying I'm drinking because my wife is fighting with me, but it's always that situation of what yeah. came first, the chicken or the yeah, But I'm making a living, so therefore I'm functional, but yeah. it's not the case. I think I asked you this question last time, but I think I'll ask it again. You talk about the frog boiling in the water. The family can re- realize there's a problem, but the individual, him or herself, doesn't. They think they are functional. What is the next step? So I think here at Freeman House, um, you know, we offer what the next step is. So we often we think the starting point is dealing with the addict first, and a lot of the time it isn't. It's often dealing with the family first because, uh, you know, if once the family's had enough, they stop kind of protecting the addict, and, you know, then the cracks can really start to show. Where, you know, we run an amazing family support program that's free of charge, not only for the families or clients that we have, but open to absolutely anyone so that they can be educated, they can be supported and they can be guided through this process of, you know, why did this happen? 
you know, feeling like I'm not alone and getting the necessary guidance and education to help my loved one realize that they have a problem and then get into treatment. Um, if we're waiting for rock bottom to happen, I mean, two things can happen. First of all, we say that rock bottom has a basement. It can always get worse. So what we think is a rock bottom may not necessarily be that. And two, we run the risk that our loved one could die. You know, if we're waiting for them to realize or the crisis to be bad enough, like what happens if that crisis is so severe that there's no coming back from it? Um, you know, I, I currently, my, my sister-in-law um, has a, a partner who had a very severe accident um, in driving drunk. And, you know, we're going into, I think, the third or fourth month. He's still in a coma and he's not even 40 years old. You know, um, and we don't want to wait for situations like that, that there's possibly like serious consequences coming from it. And I just think rock bottom can be different for everybody. You know, in recovery terms, they use the term rock bottom. And people like see rock bottom as living on the street as a hobo, drinking wine out of a brown paper bag. But that's not necessarily what everybody's rock bottom is. I think rock bottom is when you are no longer functioning and your relationships are no longer functioning. So as soon as you see that problem, we, we here at Freeman House are ready to help. You know, we, we offer a, a free assessment, pick up the phone, give us a call. If you or a loved one needs, um, needs, feel you need help. Um, yeah, before real rock bottom <laughs> arrives. You talk about an assessment. Is there a definition, a clinical definition of alcoholism? Absolutely. Um, so the American Association of Addiction Medicine has uh, described it as a chronic progressive disease of the brain and related behavior. Um, and so what that means is by the fact that it's chronic is that it's incurable. Um, it's progressive by nature, and if left untreated, it is fatal. And the impact that this disease has is on the brain and our ability to behave and function effectively as uh, human beings in our own lives. Um, and, you know, I, whenever we talk about the disease here in South Africa, we say we consider it a disease as opposed to it is a disease because we live in a third world country and we are slightly behind in the times. In places like America and the UK, it's a fully diagnosable and treatable disease. Um, there's a book that psychiatrists use called the, the DSM-5, um, and that's used to like diagnose any mental illness or disorders and substance misuse is in that dsm uh, we're certainly moving in the right direction because medical aids are paying more towards treatment, which they never did before, but we're not quite there yet. Um, but it has a definite impact on the brain. And even before um, the, the massive impact on the brain, the studies that are done on, on even addicts that are starting on their journey is that the, the physical and chemical makeup of a brain versus someone who doesn't have this disease is different. I think there's a, a series of questions that um, I've just come up with the idea, but we're going to do it this week. We're going to post uh, maybe 10 or 15 questions we're going to have on our website. Um, it's going to be uh, headline, Am I an Alcoholic? And there's going to be 15 questions on the website that you can do a self-test. And if you answer uh, yes to most of them, then give us a call, mm. um, you know, the questions ask things like, how badly did I panic when the alcohol ban is? What, uh, 
when do I have my first drink in the day? Do I get stressed? If I don't have that drink on time, am I binge drinking? How does my binge drinking affect my behavior? Um, mm. Have I had a blackout? Things exactly. Like that. Have I had a blackout? Uh, do I ever have to apologize the day after for the things I said and did the day before? There's a series of questions. And if you feel you're answering yes to too many of those questions, once again, give us a call at Freeman House. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds really sensible because I think it's the point Nick keeps making. It's legal, therefore you think it's possible and people think they're functional and maybe they are to a certain degree. They're, they're not fighting with their wives. They're just having a drink or whatever, you know, and they're just, just starting earlier and earlier in the day and, you know, panicking if they can't. But for them, it's just um, normal, normal days, normal day and in life. That is exactly what Nikki spoke about, the, the frog in the boiling water. Mm-hmm. What might seem as normal slowly, slowly progresses to be, becoming completely abnormal. So basically saying you are putting out an education campaign because people may not know it, may not realize it, and they need help before. I think the other thing that's also important to acknowledge is that not everyone who's sub- struggling with drinking too much or, or using any other substance too much at the moment is necessarily an addict. It might be signs of depression or anxiety disorders that are unmanaged. And, you know, even uh, like we are able to help provide coping skills that don't rely on something destructive in order to function. And so even if you don't like land up qualifying, qualifying as an addict or an alcoholic, there is still something going wrong and, and you may still need help in some form or another. And to rather reach out and get that support uh, rather than waiting for it to cause some massive like crisis in your life bigger than, than what already is happening. So uh, we've pretty much run out of time, but I, I would actually like to be part of this education process. I would like to have the two of you back again in a month or so and maybe look at teenagers and addiction and maybe if we can stop the problem possibly where it's starting. Um, just before we do go, do you want to give a contact number? Okay, you can have a look at our website, which is uh, com. The, the and phone number is? 012-111-1739. Or our emergency line is 078-421-1042. And we are operational 24-7, so you're welcome to reach out anytime. Alan and Nikki, once again, thank you so much for joining me. Good luck with your education campaign, and we'll be talking to you in a month or so again. Great. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you very much. That was Alan Freeman, the founder and director of Freeman House Recovery, and uh, Nikki Munitz, its clinical director.